ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. This is episode 13, and we are still social distancing, but we're finding our way through this so thanks for joining us yeah you know uh i just realized maybe we should have um skipped episode 13 and gone straight to episode 14 since you know 13 is an unlucky number (laughs) yeah far be it for me to be superstitious Yeah. I always think that's funny, though, so want- you know, like when you're in a hotel and they don't have a 13th floor and it's like, what is it? if you're on the 14th floor, you know what floor you're on. What what difference does it make? What number is showing, right? It's technically like a, a feel good type of thing. I, I don't understand that because math, <laughs> the, the 13th floor brought to you by math. Yeah, but if you think about it, I mean, the kind of people that believe in superstitions like that aren't, you know, super keen on science and math and facts. (laughs) Just because you hide the number doesn't make it disappear. Exactly. It's it's really weird. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I can't can't get over how surreal this whole thing is. Um, It just blows my mind how, you know, where we are as a country, where we are as a planet, it's just really just wow. That's all I can say. Um, yeah. You know, I found toilet paper. what's that? <laughs> I did find toilet paper. Oh, Hey, me too. Yeah. Finally. I was super excited about that. Yeah. We, uh, we had just as a backup had, uh, Christy had ordered a box of like commercial toilet paper. Cause it was about the only thing that she could find. Um, so the two days that we used that was mm-hmm. awful. Um, but now we're back to the, the sweet life, living that, living that Charmin lifestyle. <laughs> I know I was going to get back on Instagram and just like start throwing toilet paper rolls around like balling, ballin'. but that would be great. <laughs> Pop culture. Um, let's see. I watched, uh, what women or what men think or want what men want. What yes. Great movie. Um, I'm actually crushing on the lead actress. I can't remember her name, but yeah, it's like, uh, it's a, Tahaji P Henson or something. I can't remember how, what her name is, but yeah. Um, she was fantastic. Like that, that movie, yeah. and it, I guess, you know, I had had a streak of movies that I'd watched, where I was ultimately just really disappointed and let down. And so I think my expectations have just been lowered extremely. Um, so I don't know if that impacts my decision right. or like my, my, you know, opinion of this movie in any way, but um, yeah, we watched it the other night and I was cracking up. Like that, I just thought it was really well done. Very funny, way better than what women or what men want. Right. Or what women want the Mel Gibson, film with helen hunt from the 90s yeah i tell you what man if i see one more reboot it just tells me about the lack of creativity in hollywood it's just a and i think that's probably why superhero movies are such a a 
you know, big success right now because it's reboot after reboot. Um, well, and I don't know if you watched like, um, the, the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Um, that was, again, much funnier than I expected. Like, I went in with no expectations on that whatsoever. And I thought that they did a pretty good job of, of making a decent movie out of it. Um, lots of kind of okay. like tongue in cheek references and stuff like that. But uh, overall, I thought it, it was it was pretty funny. It was worth a watch, especially if like if you've watched all of the other kevin smith films um this kind of brings like all of them together in one universe as though like everything existed in in the same time and place like chasing amy and mall rats and even like uh okay. zach and miri make a porno like i don't know if you ever saw that one yeah that was actually a pretty funny movie that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah that's crazy uh yeah i um i don't i know i've watched a lot of uh movies over the last couple of weeks i think i've lost track but that was a pretty good movie to watch you know the other um, one um that i watched was uncle drew i hadn't seen that one. Oh yeah how was that i liked it that was i thought it was pretty funny like kyrie irving you know not a great actor um but i i loved uh i thought Shaq was hilarious chris weber uh was actually really really funny um okay. I was a little disappointed because like they had, a, I thought they had a pretty good role for Nate Robinson, but it, and like it was good, but I just um, I kind of expected a little bit more, but yeah, I mean you know fairly predictable storyline, but overall, uh, again very very much worth a watch. Uh, Nick Kroll is a kind of like a side character. He's kind of plays like the the villain esque character um which is pretty hilarious like i mean it's his like kind of you know douchey uh you know wannabe rapper like persona guy which is pretty hilarious right so i sent you that that link with the uh pitch meeting for tiger oh Daddy yeah i was dying King? laughing <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty good that, I says, that, that says it all for yeah, that says it all for me. I will not be watching that that crap on Netflix. I just can't do it, man. It just sounds so. Uh, it's way outside of my realm. It's yeah, just like, yeah, I mean, it's you know, like I'm not gonna lie, it's super over the top, and you know, it's pretty pretty darn trashy. Um, you know, I think it's it's another one of those documentaries where the the film crew and that had set out to make the film originally were really, they were focusing actually on large reptiles. Um, and then right. when they were at this, um, you know, at some place where a guy was buying this gigantic, like, you know, 30 foot boa constrictor or Python or something like that, this other guy pulls up and he's got a snow leopard in his, in his van, like in this tiny little cage in the middle of Florida in the summer. Um, and that's what kind of led them to then start going down like the big. You said it right there, Florida. Yeah, well, it's it like... is Florida, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, all all roads and sanity leads to Florida. Isn't it? Isn't that the isn't that the truth? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's seven episodes. They're supposed to be putting out another one. I'll probably go ahead and watch it. Um, like it's another. I don't know. Did you ever watch? Um, was it Framing John Delorean? No, because I thought like DeLorean. Well, let, let me re, let me preface it like this. Um, 
Elon Musk is DeLorean 2.0 in my sure. mind. Every time I see Elon Musk, I just I just envision DeLorean. So no. <laughs> it was I mean it was an interesting film. Um, you know, like I knew a little bit of the backstory about the car uh and you know like his role in the automotive world prior to that. Um, I didn't know much about all of the, you know, like the, the kind of downfall in the court cases and stuff. And, um, but the reason I brought it up is I just, it's kind of interesting because there's some parallels where it seems like, you know, one of those things where like if, if certain people weren't in place to kind of egg somebody on to do something that they inevitably get arrested for, like they probably wouldn't have gone that far on their own. And it like it starts to kind of make you wonder like at what point do you draw the line between you know and at what point does it be, just become entrapment, you know where it's like somebody just continues to encourage you to break the law over and over again, knowing full well that their intention is to arrest you once you do, you know like how how does that really make sense? Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, that's fair. Some things are interesting. Like I watched a um, what's it's called Dirty Money on Netflix, and they have this episode called confidence man and it's about donald trump and um oh boy. I, what, man. I really 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 i hate to say this but i hate donald trump like i like he's just like i'm starting to feel like i just want to like i wish i could be in a press conference and tell him just to shut the fuck up <laughs> and I just really I wish somebody would just do that and just like no would you stop lying and shut the fuck up and I'm, I'm sorry but that's how I mean that, he gets me so like I hate that guy I yeah. really hate him. it's I mean it's hard you know not to feel that way um and I try I try to balance like my huh. intake of him you know like as best I can where it's like because I know that just in order to be informed and kind of know what's going on, especially right now with all the craziness, like, you know, I tune into some of his press conferences and stuff in part because I want to see like, well, okay, what, what is the plan here? And then you just see kind of off the wall craziness, like, you know, someone who's obviously way more focused on getting respect and, you know, praise from everybody for the amazing job he's been doing than actually figuring out how to like make this any better for everybody. And, you know, like I, it's, it's weird because I do like, there are certain things that he says where I kind of do agree, you know, like, yeah, this, the federal government should really be more of a safety net for the States as opposed to like, you know, Hey, now we're in emergency, give us all your ventilators kind of thing, you know? Um, but at the same time, like we're beyond that. That's not, this is not the time for that conversation, you know, like get the freaking ventilators where they need to go. And then once we're through this, we can go back and look at, you know, like you say, you hate doing, it's calling it a postmortem, but you go back and you look and say, okay, well, what could we do better? Well, we need to, you know, empower the States to have their own stockpiles of these things. And that sort of, if that's where we want to go, you know, but I just, at the same time, it's like, dude, that's that's so beyond the point of where we are right now. Like, people are dying without these things, and we just need to make sure that we get them to the people that need them. Yeah, and I, yeah, I hundred percent agree. It's time for politics. And. Uh,
Um, what else? Like with like just in our current society, oh, I, I'm yeah. starting to really dislike Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the on the hate for the social media platforms. I see. I I, I tried. Yeah, I'm trying, but it, what just bothers me is just people. If they had a way to like just disagree, like a just a button to disagree, I think it would probably eliminate a lot of the just really weird points of view. Not that I, I, I want to bar people from having their opinion. I just think that it's just like, what, what are you hoping to uh, like accomplish with this? That's what I don't understand. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. Like what is your ultimate goal in responding in this way on, in a, in a public platform, right? Like you're not going to change somebody's mind by calling them names and insulting them repeatedly, you know? Like all you're going to do is entrench them more in their position because they feel like, Oh, well this person's obviously threatened by what I feel if they're willing to call me names. So I must be doing something right. Like it's disgusting. Like I, I just really, um, you know, like I, I try to, you know, I don't really have a use for social media if I'm being honest, but I do enjoy, and I, it's more of like an entertainment tool for me to kind of see what, especially sports that's the only way i can keep up on sports right now um news not so much because uh, everything's late breaking right now so it's not like i'm you know going to get that that information any quicker but i'm just appalled at how people can just i mean just rip each other apart it's like i i, I would be impressed if somebody that took some of these positions would say that to my face oh yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you know um and this is not even a political rant this is just basically how i feel about social media it's just tacky you know uh yeah people can have their own opinion but does it mean you have to try to rip somebody a new one every time they 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 share what their what their belief system is you know and you're right i think it does make people um you know just grip to their beliefs like i this whole cancel thing it's like how can you cancel a person you know uh apparently dennis quaid supports trump and it goes back to what i've said about racism if you know somebody that it's discovered they're racist but you're okay with them you're gonna you're trying to defend yourself and your and your uh reason for actually liking this person because you didn't know and it's, I think people kind of feel the same way about Donald Trump. Um, and and I, yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I kind of, I guess I kind of get that to a degree. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately it's just, I think it's surprising to me because like I, I guess I could see white people, you know, like doing that and kind of being like, yeah, I mean, he's super racist and all this stuff, and um, but you know, it's like I mean, a lot of like hardcore religious people, you know, hold him up as like you know this this beacon of light, and you know, it's like I mean, the guy's basically admitted all of these things that he's been caught on tape doing. 
and you're still just like, well, you know, even, even that being, you know, he's still just this amazing person who's, who is the chosen leader for this country. Who's finally going to get us back on the path. And I just, I, I, I don't get it. You know, that's where I just, I'm, I'm like, well, at what point, you know, what would it take for you to at some point go, okay, I no longer support Donald Trump. Like if he killed a person, regardless so, of his justifications, right. Would that. <laughs> my, my thing, like, you know, you make a good point. Like evangelicals are, you know, supposed, right. First of all, I think the media is doing a crappy job of representation for people that are Christians, if I'm being honest. It's just like you can't lump every Christian into the um, this this bowl of all evangelicals support Donald Trump. That's not really necessary. It's probably not even true. Um, and if that were the case, Christians have a responsibility to say, is what this guy is doing, is it biblical by any stretch of the imagination? Um, and the answer is no. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, for what I see in public, he doesn't show that if, and it's not for me to say a person is a Christian or not, but your actions should be, you know, they should reflect those values. Secondly, with that, and you know, I have to catch myself with this also, it's not just your actions, it's if you're in a position of leadership, you're that much more accountable to your faith. Yeah. And you can't profess one and then exclude that accountability because the Bible's pretty hard on leaders in general. So I, I, I get confused by that. It's like, what, are, what who, when? Like there's a, uh, there was a, a pastor in Florida that made this outlandish claim of, you know, my parishioners would rather be in church than live in fear. Please tell me if you're a pastor that you understand the Bible also calls for wisdom. Like it doesn't say, you know, like just do whatever and God's good with that. I mean, the Bible clearly states, even when Jesus was tempted, you know, in 40 days and 40 nights, do not put the, the Lord thy God to the test you know, is, you know, Lucifer was saying, hey, jump off this mountain. We know, you know, the Bible says that angels will, will catch you, not harm would come to you. And Jesus is like, yeah, the Bible, you know, the, the word also says, don't put me to the test. I mean, like, yeah. so it, for me, it's contradictory. And I'm not a professional apologist for Christianity. But I can tell you that when people take things in the Bible out of context, there's no wonder why people can very accurately accuse Christians of being fill in the blank, whatever that may be. So it just, that pisses me off. You know, well, just, I guess like, I wonder, do you think that, cause I've, I've heard before, you know, that essentially what it boils down to is it's a one issue, you know, determination in terms of where they're, where an evangelical person is going to fall. And it ultimately comes down to what, you know, abortion in a lot of cases for those people where it's like i cannot you know in any way shape or form support anybody that's going to be you know pro-choice and so therefore regardless of all of his other flaws you know if he's gonna say that he's not you know that he's gonna be anti-abortion then that's the person that i'm ultimately gonna vote for um so this is one of those issues where like uh I, I fall on the fence with, you know, 
And I'll, I'll address in two things. There's two sticking points for um, like, well, there's three parts. One, the first part is that it's a very common thing for people to say, you know, oh, I'm a Christian for a political office or I'm, a, you know, I'm this for a political office and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that necessarily the argument for, for abortion is the right argument. I, abortion, oh, no, the internet. right? <laughs> Can you hear me? Right. Okay, okay. You're, you're back now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm actually pro common sense for abortion. I think that it is the woman's right to choose, uh, but I think that abortion should not be used as a form of birth control, number one. I believe that um, ex exceptions where it should be no question incest, rape, or the heart, you know, potential death of the mother. But other than that, I'm not really pro-abortion. So it, yeah. it falls outside of that realm. And I think most reasonable people believe the same thing. Yeah. What I think politicians have done that have corrupted that whole conversation is make it a zero sum game. Where, exactly. And, right. They're taking it to the extremes again. Right. In reality, the Bible actually, you know, that when things of the, the, when you think about it this way, like biblically is that abortion is not like said to be wrong in the Bible, basically. So there's two relationships that are more important. The relationship between the husband and wife is more important than the relationship between the the, even the parents and the children. Mm -hmm. So that is a fact. So if you take that and put that in contrast to what people are saying, well, it's not biblical. Well, first of all, has not the two things are separate. And secondly, there are instances, even in that time historically, where like abortion was happening because of, again, incest, rape, or, you know, it potentially killing the mother. So when you look at it, for me, when I look at it in that light, I think the, the current argument is wrong. The second sticking point that people try to weaponize against or get Christians to get behind something is uh, the LGBTQ community. And, and that even of itself is another divisive thing that it's like same-sex marriage. Okay, they're, they're, the fact of the matter is people just want legal rights. And who are we to say that if these people are in, like, if we have civil unions in almost 50 states in our union, yeah. let's, let's move on with that. And then, but the problem becomes, and this is where, you know, can super, con, you know, I wouldn't even say conservative, but the people, they manipulate uh, religious or people that have a faith And this, the same sex marriage thing is, a, it, it goes across the, you know, religious spectrum uh, from Muslims, uh, Hebrews, it just goes across. So it's a yeah. very unifying argument that people can use to get political office. The reality is in this country and in, in most countries of Western influence, there are civil unions. Common law marriages are a common occurrence in a lot of societies. So you can, I believe we could bridge that gap with just saying, okay, then yes, you and your partner and your, you know, can have, you can get legal or you can have insurance benefits without, you know, yeah. the, the restrictions. So I say all that to say this: there are issues where Christians and then at the same time other religious groups 
we probably get behind socialism because it's common sense. But when people make it, they take it outside the context of social, they're trying to get people to pick a side of the fence with social norms. And I, you know, just like in our everyday life, and even in Jesus, the time of Jesus, he actually would always say, you know, give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. So the common sense approach to Christianity is that, yes, there are social norms. Yes, there are social laws. You have to be able to navigate and live within those. And the secular world is not going away yeah. anytime soon. So let's move on with that and stop picking, you know, people have figured out a way to make these things conversations that just divide people. And yeah, does that make sense? I know I said a lot there, but. No, I mean, I, 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 th- I think I understand, you know, and I, and I think in general, I agree that there is a, I mean, there's absolutely a weaponization, right, of these issues, um, I think, in society right now. And I think, you know, social media definitely, I think, escalates that, you know, or amplifies it because, you know, it's like it's such a good and bad thing that everybody has kind of the same access to the same platform. Right. And I, but I think what, what you end up with is a lot of people who are just looking for attention, you know, it's like, they don't care, you know, they're, they may not even believe what it is that they're ultimately saying. They're really just out there trying to get somebody to bite so that they can have this long, you know, and then it becomes, Oh, look at this crazy person over here. And it's like, Oh, look at, I got all these followers and all these likes and everybody hates me. And it's like, but at least I've got attention, you know, somebody's paying attention to me. It's like, I'm sorry your mom and dad didn't hug what? you enough when you were a kid, but. <laughs> One of my sons was, was telling me about that. And I was like, huh. And I, and I had to appreciate his point of view. He was mentioning that there was this nurse that uh, I guess on Instagram took a picture of the marks in her face from wearing a mask. Yeah. And it got really popular. And, and he was just like, yeah, but part of me was just super skeptical of that. And it just felt like she was doing it for attention. And I was like, I, yeah, I didn't really think, you know, I, didn't, I don't think about like sharing my views with the intent of getting attention. I, I just think it's honest dialogue. Um, and I have to remember that a lot of people are, they just want attention. I, I don't think they really believe half the stuff they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, I always kind of just remind me because it's one of those things, right? I'll be on Twitter and there'll be something where it's like, I don't even follow, you know, the POTUS account or Donald Trump or anything, but somebody will retweet or, you know, like something that he said or this conversation. And then I'll look and see, oh, I'm just kind of curious. What are the responses, right? Is it mostly pro or negative? And so you start reading through it and it's like, there are moments where I want to post a response, you know, where I'll read some of you like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever read. Right. And like, you maybe even click reply and you start typing it out. But then I always just have that moment where I ask myself, like, who cares what I think? And ultimately who cares what this person thinks? Like just because they posted something on Twitter doesn't mean anything you know like it doesn't make it true it doesn't affect me in any way shape or form that this person believes that like let them go on with their life i'll go on with mine and we can all just be fine like that's where i just you know people take this stuff way too seriously i think with the social media platforms and everything you know and it's like but you see the opposite sometimes where like i've got a um this a friend i think i mentioned him before where i had to stop following him at one point um 
he has just been going crazy right now with the coronavirus conspiracy theories on Facebook. And at one point started posting just like these paragraphs of terms that somebody had told him Facebook was removing posts that had them included in them. And I, on so many levels, I wanted to just be like, okay, first, right? No. Second, you know, like, do you understand that, that that Facebook is not is not you know it's not a a public platform provided by the government and regulated by the government and therefore you have a freedom of speech to say whatever you want like there are rules and regulations that you agreed to terms and conditions and so if Facebook wants to remove anything that you put on there they're legally allowed to and there's nothing you can do about it and you can't argue free speech because it's their platform like you know, you can go stand right. on the corner and shout whatever you want, right? But like Facebook or any of these other platforms aren't required by law to allow you to spew whatever stupidity, you know, comes from your fingertips. And, you know, I don't know if it comes down to that they have like an obligation or a responsibility to monitor those kinds of things, because I don't really think that that's true either. I think each individual just has to be smart enough to look at something and go, wow, that person's dumb. I'm not even going to bother messing with them it's just dude like when like everything you said is as to why you don't reply or get into the crowd it's exactly what i think number one and number two it just it blows my mind on how people get so i mean they're just freaking they're like digitally mean yeah like i, I would i would challenge any one of these people to say something like that to my face so i i just I think th there's an analogy that I always kind of come back to with this, right? Like think about when you're in your car, right? Or maybe it's not you, but you know, people, I mean, I'm one of these people. When I get in my car, somebody cuts me off or does something, you know, is driving too slow in front of me. I'm, I am not hesitant to just start screaming and yelling because I know that the person can't hear me. Right. Like I know that it's not impacting anybody else. That's why I don't I don't do it on Facebook because if I do it on social media and all that stuff, like yeah, no, you're impacting somebody potentially. Um, and I think it's kind of the same thing though, is that people when there's when it's not that face to face, when there's any sort of separation, right? Whether it's it's a piece of glass or you know a semi soundproof you know container or a computer screen, you know, and a keyboard where it's like, I can type this out and send it. And then I'm not going to think about it anymore. But that person who gets that message sits there and thinks about it. Right. Like I just, I don't know. I, well, think... <laughs> I, I don't do stuff like that because I have to work and uh, I'm, I'm a uh, self-practicing uh, pacifist and I have anger issues. <laughs> if I'm not, if I don't keep myself in check. Like people, there have been times where, I kid you not, bro, where like I was getting off the highway, got my kids in the car and somebody else, they were in, well, they're obviously in front of me. Their kids like gave me the bird. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, this goes nowhere. And so I follow them. I just literally follow them. And I make the guy pull over and I tell him what his kids did. First of all, he was scared. <laughs> Six foot one black. I just like really pissed. He was like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I just want you to know what your kids did. And that's on you. And I drive off. And I'm thinking to myself, number one, why did I do that? Number two, I've got kids in the car. But this guy's a he's a terrible dad. Um, <laughs> so, 
in hindsight, maybe, I, I mean, but it's like, you know, cause my kids are like, dad, you see that? I'm like, yeah, I totally saw that. That ain't happening. I mean, so, I mean, I am not afraid of, first of all, I respect people's opinions and I don't have to, like, I'm not going to get, I'm not aggressive about defending my position 99% of the time. The only time I'm defensive about my, my position is when you start to get disrespectful and you're aggressive, like hyper aggressive about it. Um, other than that, I really don't care. It's like, well, think what you want to think. That's fine. I, you're, when I wake up in the morning, you won't be in my bed. You won't be in my kitchen when I get a cup of coffee. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. It just, it's, it's your opinion. I just think social media is, it does amplify stupidity. Um, Oh, and speaking of which, uh, I mentioned uh, we were talking about it last time. You're Joe Biden, like he was ghost, right? Yeah. So apparently, and I said that, well, if he does something on Facebook, I'm not going to see it because I'm not on Facebook. Right. Apparently, he's doing a lot of advertising and communicating to people on Facebook. Um, Tetchy had this cool, they have a bot that I thought was kind of unique where they're getting feedback and she was, you know, giving a response. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool, whatever. I didn't. And I looked on Twitter. I'm like, he doesn't do that on Twitter. <laughs> so well, that's I, funny because I've seen some of his stuff on Twitter. Um, like, because I don't really see much of his stuff on Facebook. I see more. I've seen more Joe Biden stuff on Twitter. Um, but I actually follow Joe Biden's like, you know, Twitter account. So yeah, I I unfollowed. Yeah, I unfollow most of the politicians, if not all of them, because I just don't. I yeah, whatever. <laughs> I guess I think you know, it's interesting media. though because like I I think a lot of people always look at like a follow as a as a support or an endorsement right and I I don't know that that's always the case like with Joe Biden I followed him recently because he was pretty much like the presumptive candidate and I was just kind of curious to see like all right well what, what does his message change you know is there anything that that comes out of this you know kind of battle with Bernie um that that has him trying to get more of those people on his side or is, does he continue to kind of stay in the middle and hope that he can get more of the you know middle leaning conservatives to come over to that side away from Donald Trump so since you've opened up the gate to politics let's let's go it's time for politics I think Bernie Sanders supporters, the loud ones, are woefully, like, just wrong. Well, they certainly haven't given up yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I there's a, a few Bernie bro friends that I have who are still constantly posting on Facebook about supporting Bernie. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if we all had universal health care right about now? And um... I, I'm so... First of all, stop with the universal health care. Like it's like the Medicare for all thing. Again, sweet, like Scandinavia, it took 60 years to get that system functioning and operational. 60 years. Like I'm tired. New York has the population of all the three Scandinavian countries put together. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really tired of that argument. Uh, I think healthcare is important, but we can't, it's not going to happen in one term. It probably wouldn't happen in two terms. 
but we can definitely put the foundation in place for something better to, to work for the people of the United States. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it before. If you go back to the, to the ACA, you know, and, and look at the foundation of what was originally written there based off of what they've done in Massachusetts and put that in place with, you know, the, <laughs> but see, that's where you run into the difficulties. I don't know. You're not, you haven't yet seen, you know, kind of cross party support for much of that yet right like i mean even when the aca was put in you know a number of the the things that made it repealable were put in place by you know people that didn't like the fact that it was going in in the first place and figured well we got to make sure that we can dismantle this thing you know within the next few years once we're once we get somebody in the white house that supports that idea so i mean so we had uh there was a housewide argument my wife and daughter debate no it was a freaking argument (laughs) (laughs) that crap went south bro i'd be lied if i said it was debate it got to the point where i was just basically like okay i'm good um very good points like my daughter and my wife they have good i understand what they're saying what i what i think is disgusting about this whole movement is the reality of where we are with healthcare. It's like people forget that it's, you just can't chop everything up right. and, and fix it. Yeah. I and, mean, cause you can't, what you can't do, right. I, I think we've talked a little bit. I, I certainly feel like healthcare is one of those areas that you have to find where you draw the line between profit and providing healthcare. You know, I agree. Like, I think there's, the ability for private industry to, you know, be building the machines and that sort of thing, right? Like to to be doing all of that research and development to provide supplies. But I think, you know, ideally what you have is a system in place that allows for better negotiating on prices, right? And that's that's what the whole idea behind the ACA was, was you get enough people involved and signed up that it's like, okay, we've got, you know, 10 million people on this one plan. Now we can go to the insurance companies and say, give us your best rates for 10 million people. Right. And they're like, Oh, we got 10 million people. Great. Here, we'll give you this super great rate. You know, it's the same like companies, small companies struggle with that a lot because they have so few employees that it ends up costing them so much money to provide that. I mean, you and I had worked somewhere where they used a third party to essentially do that. Because they do the same thing where they're just grouping all of these small businesses together and saying, okay, we have X number of employees that need health insurance, provide the best rates you can for X number of employees as a group. And that's where I think you haven't, you don't see that in the American healthcare system. You don't see that ability to negotiate, I think, and get better prices. And that's where we end up in this system where things are so incredibly out of whack, you know, like the, the costs of things just don't even make sense when you look at them. Because most states have departments of insurance that regulate what can be purchased. Most states have departments of insurance that provide some level of price fixing, which is not competitive to for the consumer. Most So there's a lot of things where, where it's like, Dude, I, I, I hear the argument, but nobody's once looked at the current system and said, what could we improve? So it's it's almost 
blind ignorance or willful ignorance to to keep going on and you know we can fix it tell me how like that's i mean people and i i'm not saying that we don't need to fix our healthcare system i'm saying that fundamentally there are going to be a lot of things that need to change and until we're willing to remove the barriers and actually expose those barriers we're going to have the same conversation over and over again yeah you know and the healthcare is the right thing i i get that it took 60 years in Scandinavia to get a system in place of universal healthcare that works. Right. Like, right. so that's not a, a president. That's not a single person that's going to go in and do that. You know, I think if that's something that we as a country want, what we have to do is understand that we have to take steps along the way to get there. It's not going to be, you know, you pull the plug on the existing system and plug in the new one overnight. Right. Like, it's right. it's just not how it works. <laughs> There's too many moving pieces. Yeah, like I said, it turned into an argument. And I, I understand the like the fundamental thing, especially when my daughter kept saying it, well, healthcare is a human right. And the free market guy in me doesn't necessarily agree with that <laughs> to some degree. But it's like not really. Um, even back in the day, like like freaking medieval days, you had to pay a doctor. So it's not a human right. So where do you think this system stemmed from? Um, but I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. It's like, yeah, I, I understand the importance of healthcare, but the solution that's being provided doesn't make sense. And then like, if we haven't seen anything in this pandemic, why haven't people seen the obvious fails between state and federal governments? Yeah. Why are we depend? Why are we like they've done a crap? The federal government has done a crap. Does a crappy job in most instances of managing anything. So yeah, I just we- I still think you know I mean I I think you could look back at previous administrations, even like George W. Bush and the way that he handled. I mean the recession, even not even like a specific you know like the nine eleven thing we talked about before. You know, and I think to some degree like that. It was a little bit easier sell, right, to get everybody kind of on the same page because you can be like, they attacked us, right? Us as a group, they didn't care who was in the building, Democrat, Republican. You may not have voted for me, but we're going to fight this together. Rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. And I think, but you think even looking at like the recession, right? That dude came out and said, look, we've never been through anything like this before. Like he was honest and upfront about what he was doing. And I think to some degree that helps you know, provide some level of reassurance for people, which means that you don't end up with stuff like massive hoarding and, you know, huge, like, you know, worsening the impacts of things like, you know, stock market losses. And and I think what we've seen so far through this pandemic is, is the exact opposite, where it's a lot of posturing and a lot of it's not that bad. Everything's going to be fine. And I just don't feel like you've gotten a whole lot of honesty un- until it's like, well, now I have to tell the truth because it's everybody knows it, right? Yeah, I, I mean, here, here's what I, I, I'm concerned about. And this, I guess it's, it stems from my conservative viewpoint. I don't think the federal government has to be involved in everything basically. I don't think they provide the best solutions. Yeah. Cause it's like a one size fits all. Right. And that's not, it's not the same in every state. Right. And, and that's, that's my concern. And, you know, I saw something this morning that mentioned, Oh, now we have two presidents Cuomo on the East coast and uh, Newsom on the West coast. <laughs> I was like, 
okay, that's cute. They are showing leadership, but we're still like, you know, we still have 50 states. So I get what, I understand the sentiment, but I don't think that people should be thinking like that's the solve. And then even with healthcare, and this is the last thing, if we go to a federal system, I, I do foresee where we have the same problems that teachers have, where they're underpaid, blah, blah, blah. So there's gotta be a fine mix there, right? Um, India is another example of where you have a lot of people that, you know, where uh, higher education is very is more accessible, but you have an overabundance of these fields, engineers, doctors, lawyers, whatever. They come to the States or whatever. And then it's like, well, they left their country because they couldn't make money because the system is so clogged up with them that it's now they have a shortage in their country. We've got to think about the entirety of the problem and find a solution that works uniquely for us as a country with healthcare. I think global system, everybody's on the same plan. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you just sitting there for a second like, did this motherfucker really just say a global system? Was he not listening to anything I just said? Yeah, I love you, man. Um, I love you too. All right. So before we jump off of politics, um, I did. There was one other thing that I wanted to talk about because I, I think you mentioned that uh, you you also wanted to talk about this, but. So I was reading the article yesterday uh, or the other day talking about the Supreme Court's decision in Wisconsin regarding the ballots and absentee ballot uh, voting and whether or not they were going to accept anything that was, you know, postmarked uh, after the date um, of the election, which I think was the 7th, right? Yeah. so for those of you who don't know what the, the uh, you know a lower district court had essentially said yes you can go ahead and change the date and accept things that are postmarked by the 13th because a lot of people who requested their ballots their absentee ballots in you know light of the pandemic haven't received them yet and weren't going to receive them by the 7th the, the day of the election. So a lot of people are looking at it as the you know Republicans fighting to disenfranchise all of these voters who were going to vote uh, absentee. And the Republicans are basically sitting here saying, well, you were trying to completely upset an election and move dates when you, you know, at a time when you weren't really supposed to, and that by law says you're not supposed to. So I think, you know, obviously this is kind of uh, unique times, right? So I think to some degree, it's completely logical that you would apply some reason there and say like, okay, well, yeah, normally this is the case, but We've also never experienced anything like this before when it comes to our election system. So maybe we need to consider being a little bit more lenient and changing things here. So I think that was the worst decision that the Republicans of Wisconsin could have done. And I think I know that one of their you know objectives was to get a Supreme Court seat. Um, and yep, a state Supreme Court seat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Trump said yesterday that as soon as I endorse this guy, then they wanted to change it, which is not true. He tweeted on Monday to tell people to go vote for the, you know, this particular person. He said he did it two weeks ago. He lied. And I actually, as I was watching the conference yesterday, I looked it up. I was like, he's such a liar. So anyway, 
Um, I think that North Carolina has the same problem where, you know, Cooper is just a figurehead and has no real power. And I would, I would even endeavor to say that North Carolina, Wisconsin, or any, or any state should probably look at their state constitutions and prevent some things from being like, as far as gubernatorial, like ability from being taken away because it just become, it's, it's a mess of our democracy. Yeah. Well, and what it ultimately boils down to, right? Like the governor is supposed to be there so that you have just like at the federal level, the balance of, you know, the three houses of government. Right. And so the governor is the executive, you have, um, you know, Congress, and then you've got the courts. And so that's supposed to be a balance between all three, but yeah, I mean, absolutely here in North Carolina, we've seen a massive shift over the last four years where the you know Republicans in the House of Representatives here have worked tirelessly to strip the governor, you know, of any real power. And like you said, he's essentially just become this figurehead who goes out right. and makes announcements once everything's been decided for him. And that's certainly not, you know, what I was hoping for when I voted for him. Um, I think we talked, you know, I just could not Me stand too. McCrory anymore. That guy was such a crook. Um and I liked what Cooper had done as as a you know not. the attorney general, but um, I think yeah, I mean that's not surprising. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, you know what it ultimately boils down to is, and and who knows, right? This this could this probably in the end comes back to bite the Republicans because they're gonna get a, a Republican governor elected and have a Democratic House. And then it's going to be shoes on the other foot. And the real question is going to be at that point, does do the Democrats do what I fully expect them to do, which is it's our turn. Now you're going to, you know, eat it. We're in charge. Get used to it. Or do they take that opportunity to finally say, guys, we're going to reset this to the point where the governor has the power he's supposed to have. You know, we're going to basically wipe out all this crap that we've gone through and changed over the last 10 years to upset the balance of power here in the state because we ultimately believe regardless of who's in charge that a balanced you know government is what's going to provide the best governance for the people of this state and i swear like if that's not why you're in government then please for the love of god just get get out yeah it's it's disgusting man like i um it, it makes you wonder especially with wisconsin it was very blatant that they had an agenda and I don't, I don't know how they're going to sleep at night, you know, um, because if people have long memories, those people won't get reelected. And if, and I hope that's the case. Probably on their side. I think like 70 or 80% of people sleep on their side. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. Like I am, I am actually taking it. I might even start a blog of like crappy things that people do in this you know, in government especially in north carolina because i think that it's important that people don't forget these things um be, you know i i still think it's sad that the average person doesn't do a lot of research into who they're voting for and their track record that's why i can you know there are some things that cooper did that i'm just like yeah i don't care about that um and I, and I think yeah i think wisconsin was a bad play um and just looking at the lines from last night, it, 
you're not going to get results until next week. It could mean that Bernie Sanders drops out of the race by, by next week. But all in all, I think it's just a, a big cluster of, you know, let's put our junk on the table to see who can, you know, who's got the biggest. And it's just, it's just silly, man. It's, embar it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed as a citizen of the country that our politicians are so far removed from what they should be doing and they still have jobs. I wholeheartedly agree. That's, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. And, you know, I think it's, it's frustrating because in a lot of cases it feels like there's not, you know, other than voting, right. Um, that there's not a lot else that you can do about it because, you know, I, like, I'm not somebody who's going to go stand out front of a, you know, on a street corner and pick it for <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like, that's just not me. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess what I hope is that people eventually find their way to the best solution. But I think, you know, my faith in people grows smaller every day. <laughs> like, the more of them that I have to interact with on a regular basis. And I mean, you know, like I have I have perfectly positive interactions as well. But it's just it, sometimes it feels like the negative so far outweigh the positive. Um, oh, now, like anymore. with everybody having to stay at home, I mean, it's just like when you think about the eight states that have not put stay at home orders in, it's just like, wow, you, you guys, you don't believe the stuff's hot? I mean, like, what, what do you want to happen? Um, and I hope people have. I don't, I don't know what the, what the thought is there for sure. That, that is so confusing to me. Like, I mean, you, people should have long memories. Like, time, times like this, things should imprint into your memory of like, huh, that's, that's where we are. <laughs> and just do something. Well, I think, I mean, part of what's happened, you know, ever since really November, 2016 is that it's like every week it's some new crisis, you know, like, I mean, that's how it's felt for the last four years where every week it's some new bombshell, you know, breaking story. This is what's going on here. I mean, even this year, the first three months, you know, it's like he's picking a fight with North Korea. Then it's, uh, I don't even remember what happened in February, but, and then, you know, all of a sudden now we're knee deep in the coronavirus and COVID-19. Like, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't blink for a second without everything going to shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, I pray and I hope this is his last term. If, if he gets reelected, I'm going to be super sorely disappointed and we're probably going to move to Toronto. Um, and if I'm being honest, I'm like super, like I'm starting to really not mentally struggle, but I, I'm, I'm exhausted with the state of our country. Uh, but we're, we're, it is, yeah, yeah it's, I'm, it's I'm super exhausted. And we're definitely considering like moving to Toronto, um, because Canada looks like such a good deal as compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at least their prime minister cares I, about them. <laughs> yeah, his beard and he's got a pretty sweet now, beard. He's he's still kind of douchey. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he's a Canadian. Like, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> no offense to my Canadian friends. I love you all. I'm just kidding. I'm totally down to move to Toronto. I, like we've been debating between Toronto and Mo Montreal, but I don't speak French. Um, I, although I know it's a it's a dual language city but um 
I, I'm really considering moving to Canada. Like I really, I really, really, I'm embarrassed <laughs> almost to be an American sometimes. I'm like, yo, we've got like the this douchebag of a president who can't do. He's not competent. Like, well, yeah, but but you remember like 2000, what 2003 through 2008 was basically the same thing where basically any American that was traveling overseas, they had like an overseas American disguise kit where you just throw your Canadian flag on your back and like carry some maple syrup with you or whatever, like say a a bunch, and people are like, oh, they're from Canada, they're not from America, like. Like it just blows my mind. <laughs> Sports. All right, so I saw some stuff and about uh, the MJ LeBron, who's the goat. It's really, it's really starting to piss me off. Yeah, it's like people are crapping all over LeBron, and I don't get it. It's like they're both great in their own way. Uh, let's leave it at that. Why do you have to have? If they were playing at the same time, then I would get it, but they're not. It's it's completely different. And what's really sad is that people skip Kobe. <laughs> and I remember Kobe, Kobe was a big yeah. Too. You know, and I I think we talked about it, uh, you know, right after uh, he passed. That you know, Kobe really was kind of like that bridge for a lot of people between. Jordan and LeBron, you know, cause it was like Kobe was just coming on and getting real good as Jordan was kind of retiring for the last time. And then, you know, cause I don't think we count the wizards. Yeah. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and then Kobe was kind of, you know, at least on the downside, you know, of, uh, I mean, look, Kobe had a great career, right. And was even playing really well towards the end, but wasn't, the same kind of dominant player that he had been previously when LeBron came around. And so like, I think, yeah, Kobe absolutely deserves a lot of credit for kind of, I think holding the league up right during that time and being that, that one guy that a lot of guys or, or a lot of fans at least could look to. Um, I mean, how many, right? Like how many times do you shoot something at a basket? Right? <laughs> yeah. Kobe. Um, <laughs> you know, like, um like so I just but I think you know I I'm with you like I don't think there really needs to be a discussion about who's better MJ or LeBron right because you're never going to get them both on the court in their prime because that just that's impossible um and I think you know but they're different style players MJ, too MJ's right got the advantage I mean he's he changed the game like there are things that Jordan did that he introduced to basketball. There was no player. Granted, there was a lot. The The rosters were more balanced back when Jordan played. But I, I still think that he introduced a lot of the nuance to the game that was never going to be there without him. I mean, just in my opinion. And I, I'm a Knicks fan. So um, I knew that when we got – actually, the only good thing about when Jordan was playing was that the Knicks would actually get to the playoffs. <laughs> like, it was more of a thing. Um, but all in all, I think that Jordan introduced a lot of things that, of course, players like Kobe and LeBron built on. It, it probably changed influence the way they play the game. So for me, let's, if the internet could stop with this conversation, it would bring me some mild pleasure. So if I'm not mistaken, what I heard was we shouldn't be having this conversation, internet. But by the way, MJ was better than LeBron. Uh it's yeah if 
I was in a court of law, I would probably have to cross-examine myself on that one. Uh, what I'm now, what I'm saying is that what what uh, MJ did probably introduce a lot of the things that were we you know we we got to see like a Kobe do. We got to see like a, I mean his work. I mean just Jordan's work ethic. You know, uh, I mean that definitely influenced yeah. Kobe and you know Weber. And LeBron, right? Like, I mean, LeBron absolutely looked at at Jordan. I mean, the yeah. guy wore number twenty three when he first came into the league. Like, right? Like, he obviously had a lot of respect for what Michael had done, and I think in a lot of ways wanted to be that next great basketball player, not to be the next Michael Jordan, but to be the next great basketball player on that yeah. same level as a Michael Jordan. And I think, you know, in terms of just sheer athletic ability right and and kind of god-given talent like yeah they're absolutely very uh, on very similar levels you know i think um it's just it's hard it's i think it's hard to sit there and put lebron over mj because without mj you wouldn't have lebron the lebron that you have right right and so that's why you ultimately i think you end up with a 1a and a 1b or a 1 and a 1a sort of situation Yeah. yeah i think they're both uh equally matched um um, so football's not happening, uh, but the, I guess they're going to do the draft, like a conference. That's what it looks like, like a, a fanless draft. Yeah, that's right. That sounds kind of okay, I guess. Um, oh, speak- I mean, I guess they got to do what they got to do, but yeah, what about the Patriots, man? Uh, you know, sitting there playing to China. That was all right. So I watched the interview on CNN and, um, Kraft's appreciation of New York, you know, makes me not hate the Patriots so much. Like, and I, like this is no BS. Like, uh, that was that was so touching. Like, you know, and I, I guess the rivalry between Massachusetts and New York is it is it's because of the Red Sox, it's because of the Yankees, it's, it's because of the Giants. Um, and I, but I tell you what, man, I. I uh, as a human being, I, I really like soften up there. I, I'm probably not going to make any more crappy Massachusetts jokes, except for their accent. But I, I just really, I was like, yeah, that is so standoffish. Like I, I can't, I couldn't believe. And just his admiration of Cuomo, um, I thought that was huge. And it said a lot of, I, I know it could be like to get some brownie points after the whole, you know, uh, like hooker thing. But <laughs> aside from that, I was, I mean, it had to be genuine. Like they don't, uh, they purchased 1.2 million, I, I want to say, uh, medical mass and gave New York 300,000. So I just, yeah. So the, you know, the craft organization and the Patriots, you know, much love to those guys. I mean, that, that is stand up type stuff right there. Well, I mean, you know, they got to do something to stay in the news because they're bleeding players left and right. And then, I mean, they have no idea who their quarterback's going to be. <laughs> They still could have made a deal. They still could have made a deal. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, you got a couple of really decent options floating out there in Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. I'd like to see what Bill Belichick could do with either of those guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, no. It's time for a Chris and Andre top 10. 
No, but it, I mean, like Brady leaving and just all of the shuffling kind of that's been going on, you know, this off season, which is which is weird, you know. I think just because of how you don't like you're just not seeing a lot, right? Like because there isn't there aren't activities or anything like that at the team facilities. Uh, it's weird that all this stuff is still going on behind the scenes, but it has made me, we had discussed previously doing like a top 20 NFL QBs, uh, kind of all time list. And I know we didn't do anything to really prepare for it, but I think that might make it that much more interesting. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Um, so do we want to start at number 20? Do we start at number one and work our way down? Let's see. I'm going to tell you like right off the bat, Yeah, I have 10. You've got 10. So you got everybody one, else. One through 10. I didn't write it down, but I, I know. No, but I mean, you have 10 quarterbacks in your head that are the top 10. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we'll just do top yeah. 10 then. Okay. Number 10 for me is Michael Vick. Michael Vick was just, and you know, dude had a beautiful arm. His legs were like just like unstoppable what stopped him were the freaking dogs <laughs> that's it for me who's your number 10 oh um this is tough so i've only got five that i wrote down but i mean i look i'm gonna i'm gonna do it because because it's me and what do i care i mean he's in he's like top five in almost every statistical category uh at quarterback he you know number 17 in your playbooks number one in your heart my boy philip rivers number 10 philip rivers philip rivers at number 10 oh man (laughs) okay at least he's number 10 because if he was like number one no i mean look that's what i'm saying like i'm i'm being at least somewhat reasonable here right i'm not even going to put him in the top five but I think overall, as much as people want to dog him for not having, you know, playoff and Super Bowl victories, I think he's a very good, talented quarterback. If you told me I got 10 guys to pick from to start my team and, you know, in their heyday, I, Phillip Rivers would be one of those 10. Okay. So for me, number nine, I've got McNabb. Uh, Donovan McNabb holds a special place in my heart because like he he was the like one of the people that proved a lot of the the myth that black guys can be quarterbacks was garbage because money was tight and even I, I even rooted for the Eagles for a little bit because it's like yo that's my dude right there so uh yeah <laughs> that's your number nine I would not buy uh yeah I would not buy an Eagles jersey though that would never happen no, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect that. Um, number nine, I'm going to go with Steve Young. So growing up in California, just not too far from San Francisco, uh, was a little bit of a 49ers fan and happened to be there in the, the midst of the, the end of Montana's career and there, and then the beginning of Steve Young. Um, and, and I specifically remember... I think it was an NFC championship game where he'd thrown the ball to Terrell Owens like four or five times in the game. And he dropped it every single freaking time. And the last play of the game, he 
hits him right over the middle. Owens gets smashed at the goal line, but holds on to it to win the game. And that was just, I don't know. Young was one of those guys where he just kind of like made it happen. You know, like it reminds me a little bit of like Russell Wilson in that regard, where it's just like, it didn't really matter. It wasn't always going to be the prettiest thing in the world, but I mean, you know, like he was going to figure out how to get it done. Okay. My number eight spot is Sims, Phil Sims from the New York Giants. Um, one of the, I don't know, I, I liked his heart. When he played, he just showed the heart and the, the grit of being one of those stand-up quarterbacks. He could break a pocket a little bit. Um, his release was pretty good. Yeah, but, and they won a Super Bowl, so. <laughs> That's all that that always helps, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh where are we at? Number eight. Right. Yep. So number eight, um, this is this is again kind of a personal one, but uh Steve McNair. Oh, okay. I don't know why, but I always loved watching Steve McNair play. Like I was never, I never rooted for the teams that he played for. I wasn't like a Titans fan. Um, right. There was just something about that guy, the way that guy played on the field that I just always really appreciated. I can respect that. More than my cat can respect my personal boundaries and stop sticking her damn paws in my glass. <laughs> All right, so um, number seven for me is Roethlisberger. Ooh. I'm just a big fan of the big guy. <laughs> okay, whatever. Now, now we're fine. Go ahead. Now we're judging. Um, yeah, I just always been a big fan, and the way he, you know, just was always coach. He's just coachable, you know, um, and. Yeah, he's just coachable. Like he went through the whole um, transition from winning the Super Bowl with, uh, gosh, not much. I'm getting old. What's his name? Uh, Cower, your state boy, who I'm, I'm a big fan of. To um, my other dude, man, I'm, my brain is like, oh, dude, what's uh, what's his name? Black Tomlin. dude, brother from a, uh... huh? Mike Tomlin. You're, you cracked up. I gotta Google that. It's Mike Tomlin, right? Yeah, yeah, Tomlin, Tomlin. See, I'm under pressure here, man. I would, if I would, this would have been more scheduled. I would have had like uh, all of my feelings and emotions about why these are why these are great quarterbacks. <laughs> no, I know it's tough. We are we are totally doing this on the fly. The next one, we'll try to prepare a little bit more ahead. Where are we at? We're at number seven. Okay. All right, you're going to hate me for this uh, because I'm going to put two NC State guys on this list. But number seven, Mike Glennon. No, I'm just kidding. Um. (laughs) 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 No, number seven, I got to go. I got to put Wilson in the top 10 somewhere. Um, And I was trying to figure out where he goes. I think seven's a reasonable spot. I know he's only won one Super Bowl. I know he's only played in two of them, but 
again, like, you know, I mean, obviously I have personal uh, attachment, but I just think it, there's something special about watching that guy play. Um, and that's, that's part of what, what this list is for me, at least. <laughs> yeah. He'd be in my top 20. I'm not sure in my top 20 where he'd fall, but um, yeah, I can respect that. Number six for me, it, it's heartbreaking to say that he has slipped down to number six is Eli Manning. <laughs> I mean, when he was on his game, two Super Bowls. When he was off his game, it's not the same. So those player. two seasons that he was on gets him in your top ten of all time. I'm so glad, I'm, I'm so glad your audio broke out because I, I missed the start. <laughs> What'd you say? I said so those two seasons that he played well. That's that's what you're referring to. The two out of how many fifteen that he played? Uh, yeah. All right, next. <laughs> so we're at number six. Yep. Oh no, my number six slot is empty. Um, let's see. Put uh, Philip Rivers back there. Oh yeah, he can be in there twice. That's a good. That's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, oh, here's number six. Uh, Dan Marino. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Is that a, okay. a, a wow you agree or a wow I agree. you're going to be one of those guys who thinks Marino belongs in the top 10, even though he never won a Super Bowl? Uh, I agree. I agree pretty like pretty strongly, so strongly that my number five is a three-way with Marino, Steve Young, and Montana. Is that like a dream of yours? <laughs> no. <laughs> so wait, so Marino, Elway, and Montana? No, Marino, Young, and Montana. Ah, okay. Because all three of those guys are probably, in my eyes, at the same level and just able to do some pretty good things. Marino, like, just baller, basically. Um, it sucks that he couldn't get a Super Bowl. Montana, I mean, it's freaking Montana. And Steve Young, you know, pretty much for the same reason you say. But uh, I thought he was definitely a much better ranking than what you gave him. I don't, I don't know how I feel about allowing you to group three players together at number five, but, I but I'll allow it because okay. ultimately, <laughs> who cares? Um, okay. So now we're on number five. Yep. All right. Well, uh, because you reminded me that he exists as a quarterback and I was a big fan of his, the two years that he won Super Bowls. Number five is Mr. John Elway. The Bronco legend himself. All right. So um, that hurts, number five. But okay. I, I respect that he's on your list. Thank you. <laughs> Look, again, I love John Elway. Like, I, I, I was wholeheartedly behind the Broncos the two years that they won the Super Bowl at the end of his career. I like, I hadn't really paid much attention to him prior to that because he just wasn't on, you know, like it just wasn't on my radar. But um, but I think John Elway was a really, really, really great quarterback in the NFL. And I think he certainly, certainly belongs in the top five, the top five. It's a, it's a little tricky here, right? I think you're kind of splitting hairs and, yeah. and some of this, and he could have easily yeah. gone, you know, number four and maybe even number three on the list now that I'm looking at it, but I'm going to stick him at five because that's where I said he went. Hmm. Everything I thought I knew about you, 
I really didn't know. Uh, number four for me <laughs> is Drew Brees. Uh, probably one of the most accurate arms ever and just ever. That's all I got to say. I, I've never seen anybody throw a ball like that ever, ever, ever. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, and Breeze certainly is in my top five. At number four, I have, again, just, just a guy that I absolutely love to watch play. Didn't necessarily root for his teams because a lot of times. Philip Rivers? No. Uh, a lot of the times they were playing against teams that I was pulling for. Uh, but Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers were almost always a formidable foe, um, you know, when he was at, at quarterback. And even, you know, the couple of years in Minnesota, you know, that he had after his years in Green Bay, I think showed the guy could still play. Obviously that last year in New York with the Jets was an abomination, but pretty much everything that goes to New York in the Jets, at least, uh, sucks. Oh, okay, so, yeah, sorry. Well, that's really Jersey's team. Yeah, that's yeah. There you go, <laughs> Jersey Light or New York Light, I guess. All right, number three for me is Brett Favre. Uh, oh, a lot of the same reasons. Yeah, yeah. So number three for number... me is Drew Brees. All right, look at that. Look so, at that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, number two for me, no surprise at all, Peyton Manning. Wow. Wow! 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 I'm going to need you to get off my back. Like, all the way <laughs> Let me get all the way off that thing for you then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peyton Manning, just, I always enjoy watching him play, even in, in uh, Indianapolis, because of the way he could read the line. And that was, it just blew my mind every time he did it. Um, and when he came to Denver, the first season was questionable, but he showed that he could, you know, get the offense to do the things that needed to happen. And one thing I really liked about his, you know, especially the Super Bowl season was the fact that his arm was gone. Like you, he did not have the strength in the arm anymore, but he had enough of the right things to, to get the wins. So that was your number two. Yeah. Since you and I allowed you to group three players at number five, I'm going to put two guys together at number two for a couple of different reasons. One being that I completely forgot one of them existed and uh, you would have murdered me if I left them off my top 10 list. And two, I think ultimately this is a good spot for both of them, and it's kind of hard to pick between the two of them. Um, I'm really excited, by the way, before I reveal who this is at my number two, to hear your number one now that I've heard two through nine. Uh, I'm pretty sure we got the same person there, but we'll find out. Anyways, uh, your boy, Peyton Manning. Uh, sharing that number two spot in the silver medal with uh, my boy, Joe Montana. Um, I just, again, like I know you had Montana at five, I think perfectly reasonable. The top five is, is difficult, especially two through five. Um, but yeah, I mean like Montana, you talk about accurate with Drew Brees, like that dude, I mean, and it's just one of those, right? Like, I think kind of like you just have those pairings of quarterbacks and coaches sometimes where it's just, it's the right fit and the system and everything was just perfect for what Joe Montana could do. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you always kind of wonder how much more could he have won if he hadn't gotten injured? Obviously you can't, you know, prevent that from having happened. And then what happens with Steve young, yada, yada. But um, yeah, I'd always, I always loved, 
watching Montana play and, and you're absolutely right. Like with, with Peyton, um, I mean, he, he ultimately changed the way that quarterbacks play the game these days, you know? And so, um, he, mad respect for Peyton Manning. I was not a fan of his early on. Um, but the more I watched him play, the more I, I grew to respect what, you know, the, the amount of time and effort and the, just the knowledge that he obviously had about the game in order to be able to do what he did at the line of scrimmage. Okay. My number one, uh, there is no drum roll, but I'll just say, Oh, there will be a drum roll. Is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my number one pick for quarterbacks, best of all time, is John Elway. There, there's, um, like, I've never, you're laughing. No, nope. but it's so- I, I'm not even laughing at who you put at number one. I'm laughing at who I'm pretty sure. You left off the top ten altogether. Oh, you gotta remind me because I probably there's yeah there may be some dust in my brain. All right, wait, um, go away. A- a- anyways, John Elway, go ahead. If you say my number one is to be Russell Wilson, no, I will. I already said that Russell Wilson. He was at number seven. That's true. Um, Elway, like I remember the Sports Illustrated, our kids' Sports Illustrated. I read when I was a kid, and that's what got me to start watching Broncos games. And he never disappointed the rest of his career. Just the way, like his field leadership was probably the best. What he was able to do with uh, Terrell Davis and, and figure out a way to get Shanahan to, you know, change the offense around to take advantage of a guy that would continuously get a thousand yards. <laughs> it was just amazing. So, um, and just the way he worked with Shannon Sharp was just like, wow. There's a lot of wow moments. and. Elway made me appreciate football from a different point of view. It wasn't just the the straight shot quarterbacks anymore. It was the quarterbacks that could actually think about the game in a different way and use all their tools on the field. Who was who were the three that you had at number five again? Uh, Montana, Young, and Marino. Okay. So yeah, I'm pretty sure you did leave my number one off of your top ten list altogether. Tom Brady. And I'm sorry, but you can't ultimately, I don't think you can really argue with the number of Super Bowls that guy won. And I know that wins and Super Bowls aren't, aren't only at the quarterback, but that it's never been done before by anybody playing that position. And again, right. We talked about that, like the kind of that perfect marriage between coach and system and player. And I think that's exactly what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him and Bruce Arians down in Tampa Bay. I don't expect much. Uh, I think it's going to be really disappointing for Tom when he gets down there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I know, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not completely surprised you didn't have him in your top 10 because I know ultimately you like to just pretend yeah, like, he doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. I'm like, I'm sitting here going, why did I forget about Brady? It's like, I, I hate the Patriots. <laughs> Obviously, Robert Kraft and them flying an airplane and giving masks to you know New York. Now that Tom Brady is no longer part of the That's Patriots always- organization, he doesn't benefit from any of that. So you just you still <laughs> pretend like he doesn't exist. There is no Tampa Bay. <laughs> that is so telling of like how programmed I am to dislike the Patriots. 
That's pretty, that's pretty, that I mean, so I was sitting tough. here going through it and I'm like, that's where I had to ask who were your five again? Uh, because I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I misheard him and he had Brady in that, in that three group at five. And then I'm like, wait, no, like he doesn't have Brady in the top 10 at all. What the hell? <laughs> okay. So, but the greatest of all time, like if there was like, if these are the people I think that are the best quarterbacks, like bar none, yeah. I would say the greatest of all time without question would be Tom Brady. Okay. You're right. So, to all the things you said, um, I'll just ditto those because there is nothing that says there's no quarterback that's won that or team for that matter that's won that many Super Bowls. There's no quarterback that's played as long and as, as healthy as he's played. Um, so I, I do not want, like as a sports fan, I don't want to take that away from the guy because he's definitely earned it. But the greatest of all time in the NFL will definitely be Tom Brady. Um, yeah, he's like, he's like the Ali of freaking football now, basically, uh, <laughs> where you can have other, like Tyson, Tyson can come up and, and like heavyweight fights, Yeah, but the greatest of all time was always going to be all. Yeah. I mean, you know? ultimately there just yeah. isn't there. There's no real, you know, foundation for any other argument, unfortunately, you know? Um, and especially when you look at I me, mean, cause even in other statistical categories, it's not like, you know, he, had you know i mean like yes he had a really good team around him but it's not like he was you know didn't have to throw the ball or wasn't capable of throwing like the guy had you know up until very recently right the most touchdowns in a season and most passing yards in a season like he's held those types of records and stuff in the past and so i think you know he's got the statistics he's got the wins and and i think ultimately right like you look at that and in there this there's some kind of unquantifiable you know element of leadership there that you just you ultimately kind of comes from him and so that's where again i think it'll be interesting to see whether or not any of that ultimately translates and helps him to do anything in tampa bay but i think you won't, won't have time yeah and the rest of the organization isn't isn't built the way that the patriots are and so i just don't think that you're ultimately that he's going to have you know anywhere near the level of success that he had in new england or you know even really come come close to touching that well, I mean, but. maybe I'm wrong because uh, if you look at if you look at what Eli was, I'm sorry, what Peyton was able to do in Denver, where he got more involved with the 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 way the offense was structured, not necessarily the players, but the way it was structured. He, I could be very wrong, and Tom Brady may have time to do that. Um, yeah, and i I believe I believe that he may surprise us all now without spring, you know, a, a summer camp or anything like that, or you know, without the I don't know how the teams are operating right now, but I do think that it would be short-sighted of me to say that he may not have time. I think that, you know, if he is a GOAT, which I believe he is, he'll have a way to influence something in that system that, that he can work with. Um, you know, um, I think ultimately I wouldn't be surprised if you see a similar level of success for Brady in Tampa Bay to, as to what like Montana had when he went to Kansas city, right? Like, yeah get to a championship game, maybe come close to getting to a Super Bowl, maybe even go to a Super Bowl, but ultimately like probably just coming up a little bit short. Yeah. If it's going to be a sunset season, I mean, I don't think anybody will, you know, will change your view of him because I think he, he, he's like a Jordan, right? Jordan retired out, came back, played with the Wizards. Uh, Everybody mean, literally just pretends like that never happened, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, then, yeah. 
But you, you know what's funny about, uh, just to switch topics, what's funny about Jordan is as the guy driving the car for the uh, Hornets, he's not as successful. Um, I think there are two is, different skill sets, right? Yeah, it's very shocking. You, you would think that Jordan would be able to uh, inspire a different result outcome in, in Charlotte, but he's not been able to. And I think a lot of that's just because the disproportion with, you know, how the league is set up and where you have powerhouse teams and everybody else, you know, basically. So wherever LeBron goes, you're good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree to some, to some extent, but I think, you know, you, you can look at some other smaller market teams, like even, you know, the Raptors or, um, you know, so like the Bucks, where if you have a good front office that understands how to manage player salaries and and to sign players to good deals, and that's where I just think you haven't what you haven't seen from the Hornets organization overall is it's like, you know, they they signed Frank Kaminsky to like the you know a ten like a five year deal or something like that, and it's like I mean why you drafted him in the first place is beyond me like. It right. just it's things just generally don't seem to make a lot of sense in terms of what they're doing. And I, I do understand to some degree, right. That they are limited in their abilities because, you know, it's people aren't knocking down the door to go play in Charlotte. Now I'm with you. You would think having Michael Jordan be the head of that organization, there would be a lot more guys being like, man, I want to go play with Michael Jordan. I think part of it to some degree is that a lot of the guys that are in the coming up in the league now didn't watch Michael play growing up right they watched kobe and they watched lebron and i just think to with the younger generation it's not that he is completely like people don't know him but i just don't think he has that same level of impact necessarily that he used to so yeah i mean imagine if uh, lebron came and played for the hornets right yeah it'd be a different I mean, that'd be cool. Um, but I also think, like, I don't think LeBron would do that in large part because Michael is here. Yeah, that's true. That's, you know, I was thinking that in the back of my head. I think Mello, <laughs> it's like everything goes back to Mello. Of course. <laughs> I think Mello should go back to the Knicks. Please, somebody make that happen. Um, I mean, I, I almost cry when Pat Riley left the Knicks, if I'm being honest. There's, I mean, rightfully so. That guy knows how to run yeah, a basketball like, organization. You look at what he's done down in, in Miami, you know what I mean? And like there was right. Uh, I know that there's all the stories where first or second season there, LeBron really wanted to get right. rid of Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley was like, <laughs> no, that's not what we're doing. This is our coach and you're going to listen to what he has to say. And I mean that, you know, I think for to some degree, right, it took somebody like Pat Riley with that pedigree and that background and those championships to be able to say that to LeBron and have LeBron believe that he knew what he was talking about. You know, I mean, I think LeBron's time in right. Cleveland prior to that had really led him to sour on whether uh, on believing front offices and kind of whether or not they knew what they were doing. But I think you have to give a guy like Pat Riley the benefit of the doubt there. And ultimately, right, like he went and won – two championships right in Miami and then went and won a third back in Cleveland. And a lot of people say he essentially went to Miami to figure out how to run a basketball organization. So he could go back to Cleveland and be like, no idiots, you do it like this. All right. I won my championship. Now I'm going to LA to make movies. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. I uh, really enjoyed doing that. I, um, 
Yeah, I hope we get back to to normal. And I keep hearing that our new normal is not going to be like the old normal. Um, that's kind of it's sobering, uh, but it's also like because I think once this whole thing cycles out, there the, the virus could come back cyclically. Yeah, and that probably has a lot of people concerned. Um, I mean, really, until we have a vaccine yeah. in place, I think you know, like there that that is always going to be a possibility and that's why i think you know unfortunately as much as i'd love to see sports and that sort of thing come back i think amusement parks and um you know like uh, sports arenas and those sorts of places are probably the last place that's going to end up getting open back up because it's just such a large number of people in such a small confined space that i just think ultimately it's not it's not going to be feasible to open that up prior to that it's not, I don't think it's wise. I'm actually, I actually um, think the governor of North Carolina should shut everything down. Um, and just because we don't know. And uh, I don't think that it always, for me, it always goes back to being how prepared you are, if I'm being honest. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, we don't know. Let's be cautious. Um, one thing I can, like, I'm on the fence about how I feel about is, is the whole, um, you know, the president shutting down the borders with China. Well, yeah, he did it. Yeah, he gave credit where credit's due. But the reality is when you look at the details, it was kind of, you know, halfway done because people were still allowed to come in from China. So um, I, I think that being prepared for a situation is is wiser than just trying to figure it out as it happens. Um, and that's in my personal life, professional life. And I try, I think being prepared and, and suspiciously cautious, right? Uh, not being too gung-ho to go down one direction without feeling confident in, in your ability to, to make it is, is a smart thing to do, especially as an organization and our country is an organization. I, I just think that we did a, a piss poor job of being prepared for this. 100%. And I, I hope ultimately that when this is all done, you know, I mean, like, and what I think what what really sucks is that it's not like, you know, ultimately this isn't like a recession, right? Like people are losing their lives over this because we weren't prepared and didn't have the supplies in place to be able right. to help them. Right. And so as much as I want there to be some, you know, some like lesson learned from all of this, I think that's so much more, you know, minute than what we're actually having to deal with right now, you know? And it's like, that's where, again, I come back to, it's not about pointing fingers. It's not about figuring, you know, like blaming or, or looking at what's happened already. It's about figuring out how do we stop this as quickly as we can? You know, what can we do to help people as much as possible in this time and, and try to get things at least to, some level of equilibrium, right? It's not going to be about necessarily getting back to normal right away, but like stopping things from continuing to just get worse and worse and worse. And I, I remember some years in business where I'd actually get to a point where I would just have to stop and kind of evaluate. And um, you're right. It's not about blaming people for what's happening. It's about saying, okay, this is not working. And what can we actually do? What resources do we need? Who do we need to help? Who do we need to reposition to do something that's going to help us to get closer to the finish line? And I agree 100% we shouldn't be blaming, but it's up to 
it's up to people that call themselves leaders to actually be leaders. And, uh, you know, and if they can't do that, just get the hell out of the way and yeah. let somebody that's capable of doing do the job. Um, unfortunately, the president, well, he could resign, <laughs> but, um, but I doubt that's going to happen. I, I just think that it's a, it's a leadership call. And you're right, the deaths, like I really, I've actually stopped looking at the, as much as possible the death count because it, it just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it's like, wow. And, and I get the, the common flu is, kills people also, but the difference I think in this instance is that we don't have, like you can possibly get a flu shot that could prevent uh, you from catching the flu. Yeah. This, you have no options. It's like, it's do or die. Either you do, like not get it and you're fine or you get it and you could potentially die. And yes, the, the recovery rate is, I think it's 65%, no, 70%. Yeah. So that's good. That's hopeful. But it's just the undue stress and all, you know, all the, uh, the casualties of your, your personal health at that moment sucks. And I think people should stay home, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know I, you guys have been doing that and we've been in the same boat, you know, where it's like, I mean, I've made, I think, two trips to the grocery store in the last like week and a half because, right. and I mean, I was normally like an every other day kind of, cause I do little trips to pick up stuff cause there's a grocery store right down the street. And instead it's like, no, I have to make sure when I go that like, I'm getting what I need for a few days, not again, not hoarding, um, but just to try and minimize the amount of time that I have to go out and interact both for my own safety and the safety of others. Like. You know, that's the thing that I think a lot of people kind of forget is that when you're out going to these places, that means that somebody's having to work there and it's not like they're going to close down grocery stores. Right. So I understand that they're open, right. but again, it's, it's all about just trying to minimize your impact on this situation. Right. And I think to your point, the best thing people can do is to stay home. And if you do have to go out, you know, follow basic common sense precautions. If you have something that you can wear as a mask, that's great. Um, you know, if you don't make sure that you're washing your hands frequently and not touching your face, like, yeah, I wore a mask the other day and I was like, this is, okay, this is weird because yeah. <laughs> I just felt like, what, this is weird. And I'm walking to the grocery and it's like, they've got little markers for six feet. And I'm like, wow, uh, this is definitely something I don't want to do every day, but it makes you appreciate, I mean, to your point, like go to the grocery store with a list. Yeah. Right. Um, those are those are things that we should be doing anyway. Our can our level of convenience is what probably keeps people from respecting the stay at home rules. Like we feel that we should be in, we should be able to do what we want when we want to. Well, do you want to get somebody sick? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's you know that's part yeah. of, right. I think that's that's part of that like. I don't even know if you call it like the American dream or like the American ideal, right? Is that in, we're all inherently free to do what we want, you know, kind of within the confines of our social construct. But right. We're at a point now where, you know, even like the governor, when he imposed the stay at home order was saying, yeah, technically it's enforceable by law, but we don't want police to have to escort people home. Right. Like, that's not right. the point of this. We're asking people to use common sense and to please follow the basic guidelines that we've provided, you know, and I think it's 
it's amazing to me to see the different ways that people respond to it, you know, like to see people in public who get really upset and angry about places being out of things when it's clearly no fault of the manager or the poor cashier that happens to be dealing with you that five seconds, you know, Um, to the opposite where I've seen lots of people who, you know, are going out of their way to make sure they stay six feet, you know, that they are pausing at one end of the aisle so we can pass without having to get too close to each other. Like, I wish I saw more of that because I feel like I've seen much more of the like, you know, panicked hoarding type of behavior, but. So social distancing is now Americans get to see what it's like to be black. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody sees you coming on one side of the street and they cross the street. They cross the street. (laughs) Welcome white America to what we deal with every day. (laughs) This isn't fun. I want to go back to my white America. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Freaking privileged people. (laughs) That's terrible. I shouldn't say that. But I'm true. privileged and I know it. Yeah, I um, I hate that word. I just don't get it. Um, well, thanks everybody for joining us, and uh, we hope that everybody that listens to us stays safe. And we encourage you to give us feedback. Um, my kids give me feedback all the t- all the time, even about and, stuff beyond this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so actually, well. most of it is about stuff, not not about the podcast. <laughs> this is a safe space. Um, so we hope that everybody's staying safe. We hope that everybody is practicing social distancing. We hope that uh, we continue to give some, just a conversation about things that we think about as two average Joe Americans in the United States and our Disneyland. Uh, Hell yeah. 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 <laughs> I never know what to say at the end of these podcasts, so I'm glad you always wrap them up nicely. Yeah, I try my best. So once again, I'm Andre. I'm Chris. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.